Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R.L. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak 
or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. my story it takes courage and strength to tell my story because this is 
intimate. This is um, um, secret that um, no one wants to talk about. And even though Domestic Violence is Awareness Month, um, a lot of people still, the awareness is still not here. But I ask myself, every time I tell my story, I ask myself this important question. Why do I continue to tell my story? And the answer is simple. I want to empower other people, men and women, to um, realize that if I can have went through um, what I went through, that they also can overcome it as well. And so I'm going to go into a little in-depth of what happened to me. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me here to, um, this evening to share my story. My story may be frightening, but my goal is to give hope. I heard recently that the word listen has the same letters in it as silent. Please listen while I share with you and don't be silent. I was asked to come here and talk to you about domestic violence, and I want to be open to share with you what domestic violence does to men, women, and I want to be honest with you. My story started um, 27 years ago. I was actually 25 years old when I had my first um, experience with domestic violence. Um, in the beginning, it was honeymoon stage. My, my first abuser was the father of my child. And in the beginning, in the beginning of the relationship, it was great. But after I uh, gave birth, that's when the physical violence began. It it started from shoving to pushing to black eyes to nearly uh, broken ribs to um, concussions to um, just blacking out. Um, I lasted in that relationship for approximately maybe 12, 13 years. And after I got out of that relationship, I went into another abusive relationship. This, this second partner, I married him. And I realized after my nuptials of saying I do, within minutes of walking out of the courthouse, I realized this wasn't the person for me. Because this person that I had um, said I do to wanted me to um, sacrifice being a mom for him. He wanted me to choose him over my child. And my child come before any man. Um, I only lasted with him for a year on papers, but I only lived with him two weeks because this person was extreme. Some of the things that I went through with him, I don't even feel comfortable with sharing on air or even in person, but it was so bad where um, I had to go to immigration and have this man deported. I left that relationship after a year, and I began to kind of find myself, but at the point of me trying to find myself, I still felt that I wasn't strong. So I found another person, and I dated him for six years, long distance, and um, eventually married him. But if I was to say that I didn't see the red flag before I married him, I would be lying. I did see the red flags, but I thought that I can change this person and um, whether that I know that that didn't happen. I took a leap of faith with the the last final person 
um, that abused me. I took a leap of faith with him, left Florida, lived throughout the country, and within the three years that I was out with him, he was he was good or he was masking it. Um, it started off verbally. Within the fourth year to the sixth year, that's when the physical violence began. Um, I remember 11 years ago, I was living in Atlanta um, with my um, husband at the time, and a week prior to me leaving him, um, he had um, beat me to the point of almost unconscious, and um, I remember he took me in this room in the basement, and um, he just began to beat me, and, and I asked him, well, why are you doing this? He said, because you're going to leave me. He said, before you leave me, I would rather see you in the box. Uh, a week prior to that, I um, was laying on the floor of our uh, residency, and he had brought his smaller children over, and he wanted us to have festivities with his children. But I told him I was in so much pain, all I want to do is just lay on a cold floor for comfort. And I remember him, I could hear his footsteps taking the children out to the car. And as I looked up, when I held my head up, all I can just feel is this six-foot, uh, one-inch male who wore 270 pounds just stomping on me. And I just remember just crawling through the house. It seemed like it took for, I don't know, it seemed like it took forever. Finally, after maybe about an hour or so, I finally got in, got into our vehicle. I was in so much pain, I couldn't even turn on the car. And then when I saw his headlights coming back into our driveway, which it must have, the window period must have been a two-hour window period that I had been sitting there. And as I turned the car, I can, you know, I'm racing down the streets of Atlanta, and he's racing behind me. Um, the ending story is that um, I got on a Greyhound, and I came to Florida. I've been in Florida now for 11 years. After I came back to Florida, I decided it was time for me to work on me. Um, I feel um, like my self-esteem was low. I didn't really like myself. I didn't fool with myself. So I was looking in all the wrong faces and all the wrong places. To, to be loved, but I realize now at this point in my life that if I can't love myself and have self-approval, no one else can come in my life and love me. Um, I came back to Florida. I uh, went to community college. I got me an AA degree, and I started um, going to a university, and I had to take some time off because I have some my health issues that I think is associated with the, all the violence that I endured for 27 years. And I did not mention that, that the period of violence that I endured, it was for a duration of 27 years. So that was a long time for me to just stay in that situation. And if I, and, and when I look back on my decision with the people I chose in my life, I hold myself accountable for choosing those people and I continuing to let them stay in my life because at any time I could have left, but I continue to stay. So I pity myself. I hate my. I hated myself for a long time, but now I'm learning how to, to have self-approval, 
and just believe in myself and know that anything that's good coming my way, I'm worthy of it and I deserve it. So currently right now, um, I'm still going to be working towards my um, BA degree when I feel like my health is um, is under control. Um, and then also I work with um, a population of um, that has mental health as well as substance abuse. And just working with that population of people, they share with me some things that's going on with them. And in return, I learn from them as well. So um, I talk about what happened to me to as many people as I can because if they hear that, if they hear that help is out there for me and I got away, they can too. My story is not over. I told you, I'll be honest with you. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. Well, Miss Adams, I'm, you know, I want to say, I want to say, Miss Adams, that you were brave, not only to come on air and tell your story, which is very personal, and which is very difficult. And that's one of the the first concepts that I say to most people: talk it out. And uh, mm-hmm. what you're talking about, and and how you've overcome. I hope all of our listeners can understand not just the content of what you're saying, but the meaning of what you're saying, because you made a lot of great choices to instill an emotional intelligence among yourself. You you talked about how you chose to get out of the situation, how you chose to live on, how you chose to be careful about choosing other people in your relationship, you know, bringing them into your life and around your, your child. And that's most especially necessary is that coming to realization that it's the choices you make to be with certain people. Because this individual, and I'll say two, both of the individuals that you encountered have some sort of an emotional disturbance to have to believe that they can control another individual by their own standards, which is their standard of conducting violence upon the individual. So listeners, you know, if you're on the line and you want to join into this conversation, don't forget to hit to hit the number one on your telephone pad so that you can be interested to come into the conversation. Because Miss Adams brought up some critical points. Now, one of the things that I often discuss, and I hear people say, "I'm a survivor," okay, and that's a touching point because could you tell me what you mean by being a survivor? Well, what I mean, um, how I'm going to clarify being a survivor is that with all the bad decisions I made, um, there were times in my life when I just wanted to just die. I wanted to give up. And I, even though God loved me, believed in me, I stopped believing in God. And he never stopped believing in me. And I, I just felt like I was in the, the darkest of the, just in the darkest of the, darkest of the moment and I feel like with all the bad decisions I made I can look back now and say that you know I I thank God for just getting me out of those situations I I went on to 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 get me a college degree and I would continue on to um, uh, educate myself at a higher level and I also want to mention that the first person that I described with the domestic violence um, it was a near-death experience and I remember the night that I was a trauma uh, patient, the the treating physician said to me, 
that I will never be able to to be able to comprehend. I'll never be able to do anything that can be productive. And and we see that you know I overcame all those obstacles. You know that's a good yeah. point because survival. And I often speak to people like, what do they mean by being a survivor? Because I can say this, and I know from what you just responded that there is no such thing as surviving because it stays with you for the rest of your life. The brain never forgets. And the brain Mm -hmm. doesn't forget, and the body sometimes renews the feelings of those blows and those traumatic experiences, uh, physical experiences that happen to damage that happen to your body. It renews Mm -hmm. in your mind. And so surviving the agony of the thoughts and the memories, that's no such thing. It's just how you handle those thoughts and those memories. One of the things um, that the Lord gives us, he gives us no more than we can actually bear. But we wonder when we're going through those experiences, how much more can we bear. But I'm seeing and I'm believing that the gift he has given you for you to move on and talk about this today is what he has in mind for you in your lifestyle. Because You've not only taken yourself out of a um, a given situation, but you begin to branch out. So the experience said to you, educate yourself. Get mm-hmm. to understand yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Raise your children well, knowing that they will never have this type of transform in their life. They probably realize, even through your experience, how not to get into similar experiences like you've encountered. And the other thing is that you didn't mention any other companionship, but it's not unusual that when you first get into a poor companionship, that the next person you choose who you think is all enduring or enduring may not be as such because you at that point have not realized what you've realized after coming out of the second relationship. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that you haven't given up on having a meaningful companion in your life. If that's what our Lord wants that you made to transform and to move ahead, will probably help you make the right decision in choosing the next person. I want to add that choosing the third person to be your companion in life, it may be even difficult for him or if you choose a different type of partner, for him or her, whoever that person is, to truly mm-hmm. understand what you've been through. And you'll probably feel as you go on that you're not giving fully of yourself because you're afraid to let go. So I would only say to you that in your behavior is to stay strong. Keep yourself going as you're going. You said you're going for your degree. Keep at it. You know, eventually you may be degreed and degreed and degreed because education makes a difference. And education will help you to continue telling your story and reaching lives because there are so many people that are older than you who still not come out of the situation, and there are those who are younger who are beginning and coming through a situation. Um, mm-hmm. Chief Flo, I know we talk, I've been doing a lot of talking, but I want to bring you into the conversation because I heard Ms. Adams say that it began with her in the state of Georgia. And looking at the regulations and the policies and the and so forth regarding domestic violence in various Can I states. interject? I don't mean, can I interject? It, sure. No, my initial first experience started in Florida. 
It ended. Oh, in My first initial okay. experience started in Florida, and it ended in Georgia 11 years ago. Okay. Oh, okay, because I was going to say that in Florida, Florida has in the last, ooh, I guess the last 10 to 15 years, not even mm-hmm. that many, um, but they, it was during the Bush administration, um, Bush mm-hmm. Jr. administration, that they began to take on the um, national policy for violence against women. Mm-hmm. Georgia did not. Georgia did not take on that national policy. That's what I was getting at. So today, okay. even in Florida, they're helping people a lot more than the state of Georgia, unfortunately. Okay. You know, and, and, and it came to the point where I've even visited with um, Congressman, um, I can't think of his name, John Lewis, okay? And I talked about it with him. And he says, mm-hmm. Dr. Douglas, he said, we're advocating to change the policies. He said, but that takes a lot. He said, I'm one voting, and I'm voting with the national policy to increase it, not only to say that we will stand against domestic violence, but what we're going to do officially to arm those who are there to protect us, such as the police staff and, and the advocates for education, to arm them with the tools they need. So, Chief Flo, I'm saying to you, have you heard anything about um, anything different in Florida or Georgia that you can add to this? No. Well, honestly, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, and you know, ironically, as we were uh, listening to the to the experiences that were shared, uh, certainly, not only do you reflect back to the individual states, but you look at at the amount of time that it took to finally get the laws to the point where. There were various laws that, that dictated everyone's behavior that provide support for victims of, of domestic abuse, for everything from the response of, of law enforcement right up through the prosecution and, of course, the various laws and, and statutes that were enacted uh, to make sure that people that chose to engage in this type of, of uh, brutal behavior um, certainly faced consequences as well as the appropriate level of, of training, I'm not training, but uh, but therapy, which obviously was needed in, in many cases. But I will say this, um, the experience that we just heard certainly has prompted quite a few callers. And so what I wanted to do was to see if we can get a caller in and then get that caller's uh, comments, and then maybe we could go to a commercial break and then get back to, to some more discussion because this is a fascinating discussion. So if we could, if we could get caller ending in 8670 to come on the line and share some comments with us, and then um, we'll we'll kind of uh, go right into our discussion a little bit further. Hello. Yes. Are you there, Your name is Joanne. Hi, Joanne. How are you? Not too good. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, welcome to the show, and, and please uh, share with us what's on your mind. I'm 64 years young. The police has been to my house numerous times. I didn't call. He called. And they shot it with him. And they didn't call it domestic violence. But it was physical, verbal, and economic. 
I was abused by this man in two states, Florida, and I moved it, moved with him with his job transferred to Atlanta, Georgia. I left. I left when it got unbearable. I always left when it got unbearable. But I didn't have a support system. My fr- my my mother, my dear mother, she's dead now. She's old school. She was old school. You you can't leave your husband. And then the church told me to stay. And most of my family didn't understand. They thought I was the one. I was the problem, not him. About, I think it's been about three weeks, three weeks uh, yesterday, I called the hotline. And I reported what was happening. They already knew at the police station. But they never acknowledge it. They never sided with me. They knew. But I reported it to to the hotline. And to this day, they're still investigating. And he was held. He was held money for me to even go to a doctor. Oh. He came to me and said, I can't afford your insurance. I just, I, was, I went, went without going to a doctor for an entire year because of this mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And I just started going back to the doctor. And the only reason why I'm going to the health care district is I told them my situation, and they did not include his income. And that's the only reason I'm able to go because everybody was including his income with my income, and he wasn't sharing his income. So it put me in a situation so I couldn't get any help for myself. But now I'm getting help. Thank God for HRS. They're helping me. They're helping me get transportation because I can't always, when he, it's according to his mood, whether. I can ride in his vehicle to go to doctor's appointments or whatever, wherever I have to go. But thank God for HRS right now at this moment. Well, by the way, I'm visually impaired. I'm visually impaired. I had a stroke about eight years ago. I have, um, so I have mobility issues. I have a problem with uh, um, my joint. Right knee, it says bone to bone. I've had injections to help that. So, but but I wasn't. I wasn't because yes. Miss Joanne, I just want to say that I want to ask you a question. Are you still are you still living in this abusive situation? I know you said three weeks. I can't go anywhere because I'm nominally with 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 my social security. I can't afford to leave, and I don't have a family member that will I could move in with. Mm-hmm. Well, in HRS's um, system, 
And um, there's one area that I'd like to recommend because you to recognize your worth, your worth, and your value to yourself is that you need to challenge some of those fears and challenge the fact that you are in an economic situation, that you can't get yourself out of this. Those right. are the choices that you're going to have to make with the assistance of the support system that you have, which, as you said, is not much in, in the personal life, but there is more coming into your life through the um, through the political and public system. Right. One of the areas, one of the areas is that I would really suggest, if you can, when you talk with them and you talk about getting some help, you yourself get into some therapy sessions, some intense and frequent therapy I have, sessions. I have, I have, I've done that already. I've okay, done that good. already. Good. I've done that already. I mean. I went through the state that, that the counseling they have to the state. Mm-hmm. That's not the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Victim services, and I'm going to, I shouted to the whole world, that's not the best in the world. Mm-hmm. But I have had extensive services, excellent domestic violence counselor. And if, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be making this call tonight because she carried me. And she educated me, and she helped me see that the way I was living, God didn't intend for me to live like this. Look I was better than this. And, and ma'am, can you can you hang on with us because you've just brought up yes. so many things, and uh, we certainly want to continue uh, talking with you, and we also want to give our other callers a chance to sort of provide some more. Um, information and 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 stories that that they have been through and those types of things. So, why don't we do this? Let's take a quick commercial break and then let's come on back and then we're going to finish with the caller and then we will have an opportunity to hear from some more of the audience. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638 This is Thor. Two three seven eight four nine six three eight. You give Jay a call right now. And now back to the show. Witness me. 
Well, we're back on the air, and um, Miss Joanne, you brought up so many uh, points, and you mentioned that you also had um, had a stroke, and um, and the other physical issues that are occurring. I mean, those are things, callers, that you keep in mind that this could have been brought on from the disruption to her physical self and to her mental self. Now, I understand we also have some other callers that are coming in line. Is that is that right, Chiswell? Yes, ma'am. We have some other callers. And, and before we get to those callers, I, I just wanted to take a moment to say that uh, one of the things that I heard our, our caller mention was that people were influencing you to stay in that relationship. And and I can't tell you how many times I've heard Pastor Ficklin, I've heard you say it, Dr. Douglas, when you are in a situation and you know it, it's not right, and you know that you're in danger or you just know that it's going to lead to something else that is that is not good, then that's the point where you, you have to take action, whatever action that is, whether it's you're going for counseling, whether you are reporting it to the police, all of the above. But remember, at the end of the day, you have to do the things that are going to allow you to continue to live. Uh, no Amen. one in a relationship that is abusive or is mentally or physically challenging. That's not why we are with the people that we are with. We're there to support each other and to love each other and to enjoy each other. So I just want to say again, no matter who is telling you to stay in an abusive situation, ignore that advice. Get some help, whatever that looks like to you in that situation. Do not stay in an abusive situation. It's just not worth it. And uh, so I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Douglas. Okay. I'd like to um, bring on the line a uh, caller ending with the number 6250. Caller, are you there? Mm -hmm. Yes, I am. Dr. Douglas, uh, my name is... Okay. Hold on, let me turn up the volume. I'm going to turn up the volume. Is this okay? Yes. Okay, that's better. Okay. Yes, we can do that. Thank you again for, um, you know, just having this platform and providing, you know, all of us is a space to share, okay, our story, our experiences, and, you know, how we were, you know, delivered or what we are going through at this time. Uh, my name is Cecilia Sigler. And, Hi. Um, Good I, evening. Hi. Hey. Okay. Um, and I am the, the author of a, a new release book um, entitled Secrets of a Minister's Wife, Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's available on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble. But uh, listening to uh, Sister, Sister Daniels, Daniels, um, she mentioned so many critical issues um, that is mentioned chapter by chapter um, in in the book um, uh, that I wrote that got laid on my heart to write. And some of these um, issues I would like to address. Uh, Ms. Daniel, first of all, you um, talked about going to, this is very important because clergy is our first responder. She's a support system. Okay, you, talk, you talked about your mother. 
the lack of support there. And you also talked about um, going to the foster at that time and um, the misinterpretation of, uh, I think, of scripture that he gave you that contributed to you staying um, further in that abusive um, that abusive marriage. That there, I, I want to hone on that point because the clergy is our first responders. Okay, many times. Um, I know my situation, too, my past situation, I also went to a clergy member, and I was told um, in Ephesians, Scripture in Ephesians 5, I think it's 5, 23, that says, wives, submit to your husband. Um, and also it's covered in one of the chapters, and it did contribute to even me staying um, further in the past abusive relationship and it contributes to me trying to change um, the abuser. Now I know you can never change the abuser. Um, and my thing, Sister Daniels, you also mentioned counseling and the type of counseling that you received that made a difference in in your life. All right? Um, I'm, I, again, I'm not knocking, of course I'm not knocking secular counseling. Um, uh, I had both secular and godly, and I have actually did both, godly and secular, in my master's degree. But what I do want to say is that it's really through the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship that Jesus Christ that um, he revealed to me that it's through him. It is, it, is, it is through relationship to him that provides true deliverance. Because he was anointed to set, set all captives free. So with my counseling experiences, what I, I do, Sister Daniels, I take it from that perspective, okay? Um, yes. And because I, yeah, because I know what he has done for me. I know um, even in, in my situation, when I was in that uh, so-called dark place, and it was to sell my abuse, it just set me up. All the counseling in the world, all the education I had, right, did not deliver me out of that situation. You know who delivered me out of the situation? I called on the name of Jesus. I called on his name. I said, Lord, if you deliver me, if you bring me out of this place, I will serve you and praise and worship you for the rest of my life. And at that point, he actually had somebody come in into that area that cell that wasn't supposed to be there that night. And and let's put it this way, I was allowed to get a phone. People came and vouched for my character um, uh, to come out, and then my views were confessed, and, and Jesus Christ himself delivered me. Again, that's another chapter in the book that's called The Ultimate Deliverer. Um, uh-huh. Out of all the, the, the information and conversation I've been listening to, um, I was I was sort of I was waiting to hear that I was waiting to hear um, the relationship how did how did having faith in God um, you know help or you know help deliver you know any of, of of these survivors because this this truly to me is the this is this is the ultimate way. Um, Sister Daniels, uh, Daniels, I want to say something too. Exiting or getting out, okay is one of the most dangerous times um, in an abusive uh, situation. We know this because the abuser is going to try all he could or she could, right, 
to regain that power and control by any means. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, it, well, well, you know, maybe some schemes or plots or, you know, like in my case, schemes or plots or revenge tactics and calling the police and acting like they're the victim, and, you know, are some of the plots and schemes that they do use. But at this point, I want to tell you, you have to seek the face of God, and I know you do. God is the ultimate protector. He puts a shield around you, okay, first. So when coming out or removing him, because sometimes when we are not strong within ourselves, God comes and he, he becomes our strength. Sometimes and he removes situations around you that will free you, okay? Mm-hmm. Like he removes the abuser. All right, like after the investigation and, and, and everything that's, you know, everything that is that is solved. So I just want you to remember that, all right? And put your whole faith and trust into the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, get educated, and, and you, are very, you are very educated on domestic violence and awareness and stuff and all that. Get more educated. But please do not neglect that. Do not take your eyes off of your help, and your help comes oh. from above. You're so on point. You are so on point. And and I know as you speak, you speak not only because you're an author, you speak because you know of a situation that you want to share to enlighten others. And and everything you're saying, I hope uh, audience, listeners, participants here on this line, please take heed to what's being said because like she's saying, getting yourself out of the situation is difficult. It's easily said and easily thought about. But even when you're sitting down on after listening to this program and many others that you have and will hopefully continue to listen and participate in, write it down. Make a note of some of the things that you're hearing. And then for them, get start with a journal. And then every once in a while, go back to your journal. Go back to your journal, remembering the concepts that you're hearing. I would also like to offer the name and number of an, an advocate place in your area that may be able to help you with your wounds and help you to get some guidance and strength to continue to move on because these injuries to your body can only hold but so much as well as your mind. And the name of this group is called the Silo. We call it Silo, but it's the Coalition for Independent Living. C-I-L-O, and those are the abbreviations to it, the Coalition for Independent Living. And that telephone number, area code 561-966-4288. I hope I gave you time to write this down. If you want me to repeat it, I will. And for those of you who ran to get a pen, it's called Coalition for Independent Living. Okay. And the number is 561-966-4288. All right. Um, Chief Flo, we have anybody else there on? Because I'd like to say thanks to Miss Jackie and and uh, and all and the others. We have anyone else there? Well, I I just asked the callers to hit uh, number one if they want to comment or ask a question, and we'll certainly get them right on the air. And, and I know we, we've had some discussions, uh, particularly around the 
the uh, spiritual references to dealing with domestic violence and, and those types of things. Um, but we also can never take our eye off of, the, off of the ball in terms of the realities of the situation from the, the time that you realize that there's a problem to the time that you seek help. Uh, in, many, in many states, well, I would say in all of the states, I would venture to say, uh, many states have now put into place uh, an, an assortment of remedies for victims of, of domestic violence. Uh, the, the, the first thing that we have to understand is that domestic violence, it, it's colorblind and it's, mm-hmm. and it's genderblind. And so yeah. gentlemen that are in relationships that they're being abused uh, or, or ladies or if it's, if it's a, a, a same-sex situation, regardless mm-hmm. of what you're dealing with, um, the fact is that someone is in a situation that is dangerous. And so in many states, uh, they are, there are programs that the prosecutor's office offer and that the local police agencies offer. There are victim assistance programs in every state. Um, the majority of the prosecutors offer some type of assistance with domestic violence referrals, and, and they also have special prosecutors that deal with this type of situation, and they can guide you through the process of dealing with the domestic violence situation. Uh, as, as the caller alluded to earlier, uh, oftentimes people use the, the rules and procedures of many of the state statutes in a manner that it was not intended to be used. And so that certainly is a challenge, but I will tell all the listeners, do not allow that to discourage you from continuing your quest to make sure that this situation is made right. And so whatever state you're in, whether it's Florida, Nevada, California, Maryland, New Mexico, regardless of the state, take a moment if you're in that situation, contact your local police department, contact your local prosecutors, um, there are domestic violence hotlines, there's a national domestic violence hotline that you can get the information that you need to help you move towards the ultimate resolution of your situation. And that's right, because every state has um, different areas and places for you to turn to, and and not knowing the names of all of these areas, do know that, as Chief Flo said, that the, the police system, that department, all of those departments now have advocacy areas there that they can refer you to, not only just to arrest your abuser, or to take you to medical care, but they also have a listing of places that will be able to help you. And, again, I mentioned the Coalition for Independent Living Options because they will also explain and give you uh, details on the options that fit your particular given situation. Um, yeah, Miss Adams, are you still there? Yes, Ms. Adams, before we get to you, um, we're going to take a quick break. And um, and in the meantime, I'll just remind our, our listeners out there, 323-784-9638 is the number. And hit number one if you want to get on the air, because we certainly want to get you on the air so that we can continue our dialogue. And we'll be right back.
It is the question that I'm asked the most. Why did I stay? Why does any woman stay? And for the life of me, I can't understand why people are obsessed with it. Because to me, it's so obvious. Why does anybody stay with somebody that they love? You know, we've all been in relationships that, even if they weren't abusive, we're not working any longer. And we all stay far longer than we want. And it's, you stay for the same reasons. You stay because you love the person or you love what you used to have or you're trying to take care of your children. When we ask, why did you stay, you know, we're blaming the victim for their abuse as opposed to asking, why did you hit this person? Or why are you violent? Or why do you feel the need to be violent? Why would somebody abuse, why would somebody beat the people who love him or her most on earth? Until we ask that question, we won't be able to obliterate domestic violence. We have got to focus on the perpetrators of violence, not the victims. It's cliche, but he really was Prince Charming. He was very kind and sweet and nice. I left what I was doing to come and be with him, and I was alone with him. I didn't have any uh, friends or family in the area. I couldn't find a job, so he paid the bills. And so we got into an argument, and that's the first time that he hit me. He actually threw me up against the wall and started to choke me. Um, and I didn't really understand what was happening because he was not that person all this time. Um, and so when he finally let me go, I thought it was something I did. You know, I wasn't thinking to run. After we got married, it didn't stop. It just got worse and worse and worse. And I felt like I was trapped. At that point, we had moved from where we were across the country again, and I was further isolated. I didn't have any friends or family, and essentially, he still was the breadwinner. I was dependent on him. So if I left, what was I, what was I gonna do? Where was I gonna go? You know, how was I gonna take care of myself? I felt like no one would understand, and I felt like no one would care. The first full-out physical attack was five days before the wedding. Part of me knew I had to leave him right then, that I couldn't marry somebody who had done this. But then this other part of me said, but wait, it was one time. And I told myself he'd never do it again, that I was sure he was very sorry, and um, I didn't leave. I married him. You stayed with this guy. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. I mean, he told me, and I, and I absolutely, you know, that's the part that is always so interesting to me. It's like, you know, the standard question, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you leave? Well, uh, he was trained by the United States Marine Corps to hunt people down and kill them, and he told me if I left, he would hunt me down and kill me. That's why I didn't leave. I used to pull what he would call my disappearing axe, and that would be, I would, you know, get the boys and get out because I, it just was getting too intense. But I would always go back because at least I knew where he was. At least I knew the routine. I knew what to expect. But, you know, it's, it's a terrible way to live to always be looking over your shoulder. He didn't start out with being abusive. He started out with being incredibly sweet. 
and incredibly attentive and incredibly thoughtful and incredibly kind and saying things to me that no one had ever said and and paying attention to me in ways that no one ever had. You know, and I was really taken by it. One of the reasons why we stay is because the behavior is such a drastic change from the person we met in the beginning. And we're constantly looking for the man in the beginning instead of concentrating on the man that is in front of us. Once I understood that, then I made the decision, you know, I got to go. This is not the same man I married. I mean, I love him, but he's going to kill me. With every violent um, moment, I felt further connected to him in this kind of twisted way. I felt that, you know, we had this secret that, that bound us together and that this was something big and we were working on it. And so we had to stay together until we worked it out. The violence got to a point where I realized that I, I could die. I had to create a plan. I had to figure out where I was going to go and how I was going to get there and who I was going to reach out to for help if there was any. I was scared. I was afraid that he would find me. I was afraid that he would be so angry that I left, that he would come after me. I couldn't just get up and walk away. And it was the most terrible feeling to know that I could leave and I still couldn't leave because I was bound by this psychological trap that I thought was love that wasn't love. You know, I had so much denial. If you had come to me and said, are you being physically abused? You know, if my doctor had asked me or a best friend, I would have said, no, I'm not being physically abused. You do feel isolated and you keep a lot of secrets. You know, you keep a lot of secrets in your, in your heart, in your home, in your head. I stayed because I believed him when he said he wasn't gonna do it again. I stayed because I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have any money. I didn't have access to any resources. I stayed because my religious community convinced me that I couldn't get divorced because God would hate me. Um, I stayed because I loved him. You know, I stayed because he was the love of my life and I wanted to believe that love could conquer all, including abuse. To, listening to that, you know, it, it just brings tears to your eyes to hear that recording, that commercial, as well as hearing the stories of the three people that we have online tonight. There are many of them out there. So one of the things I want to say before I ask Ms. Adams' question, 
is that emotional abuse occurs in a relationship and it sometimes makes the the, um, the individual feel as though they can identify or they become a victim identity. And one of the first things we'd like to do as a victim is to overcome that identification and to begin to identify with some positive points of, the, of your life. Talking to think about your strengths, your talents, your skills, your power, uh, just taking an appreciation of yourself. That's one of the things to help healing and growth. And I heard Ms. Adams speak on that, how she began to take an appreciation of herself. And she brought in a very good point that helped her to make the decision to move on and to try not to renew the type of relationships that she had been in. And that was her children. Because of the value of the gifts that the Lord has given her, her children, she, was not, she did not want to instill that into them. So when you describe, uh, listeners, when you describe your relationship, you have thorns that are already in your heart. And so the first is she learned how to take those thorns out and to help and help to heal her womb and to stop seeing herself as the victim because she has strong inherent behaviors about herself. And the pain that she felt, the pain that all of you felt, the pain, not only the physical pain, but the emotional pain, it helps to motivate behaviors to help you to heal and to improve and to protect. And I heard Ms. Joanne Ms. Jackie say that um, she's been to places she, to ask for help, and the finances are the biggest issue. The finances are the biggest issue, and the church sometimes doesn't know or how to help. But Pastor Thicklin and I have been going around in different areas not just in Florida, state of Florida, but other states, to talk to faith leaders, to be conducted symposiums, to try to help them to understand. And some of you who are online, you know, we ask you to join us when we take those challenges on because we want people to help to understand. And many of the ministers would like to, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know how to begin. So, Ms. Adams, I've, I've brought you up many times because your story talks not only of how you were victimized, but how you began to recognize that you have an identity of, about yourself, that you're not going to, uh, to see that your children get involved in this situation in their lifelong circumstances, but how you can continue to grow. And I'd like to bring you back to, before we give any kind of closing remarks, or if we don't have another caller, I'd like to bring you back so that you can speak to us once again as you did in the beginning of what's happening with you and how you're going to continue. You want me to share my story? You say you want me to share my story again? No, I'd like for you to talk again about in your closing remarks on how you intend to continue. Oh, how I um, plan to continue is I would like to empower men and women through just sharing my story. As I said earlier before I shared my story, it's really hard um, sharing uh, such intimate stories. Um, and initially when I share my stories, I really become overwhelmed and sick. But as I share my story, I realize that I'm not only empowering myself, but I'm empowering other people as well. So that's why that's the reason why I – continue to share my story so that um, I can help other people in hopes that, you know, 
when they when they realize the red flags that you know it's easy for me to say get out immediately, but we know that it takes time. It took me 27 years to get out of the situation, and even in the darkest of the moment, you know, um, me having self doubt me losing my faith in the Lord and me regaining my faith in the Lord. He got me through when no one else has gotten me through. When when the sheets were ready to be pulled over my face, when I was a trauma case 27 years ago, God got me through. So I'm hoping that the listeners out there will be empowered through my story. And I would like to thank you again for listening to my story. And please don't be silent when it comes to domestic violence. Could I ask you a couple of questions? Because uh, this is a, an amazing story. And, uh, you know, it's always it, it always sends chills down your spine when you hear how a person's faith journey has guided them through some really serious times. And, and I guess a, a couple of questions just for those that either may not have experienced uh, this, but they may have a family member that has gone through it or for that person that's actually walked a mile in your shoes in, in a similar direction. Um, my, my first question is, how did this, your your experiences, I have to put an S on the end, how has it impacted your relationship with your with your family, and, and in particular the, you know, your, your family members that, that may not quite understand why they saw a change in you? How, how does that impact those types of relationships? Well, in the beginning, um, I tried to to hide those experiences from my family. But as I um, continued in a relationship, unfortunately, I had to bring my family into it. And it impacted my my family dynamics through being stronger. My family is um, a religious family, so um, we're a family of love, we're a family of support, and we came together. You know, we came together with support. Now, were you when when you were in the midst of the storm? Were you mm-hmm. did you find yourself, um, I guess, shielding your 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 children and so forth from what was occurring? Did you find yourself not being able to be around them as much just because you were you know you were just trying to compartmentalize everything? How, how did you deal with that aspect of your life when you were in the middle of the the entire situation? Oh my God. It, that that one is tough, and even as you know, you asked me that question, and I have to go back and relive it. It's, it's, it's really tough because it was a it was an emotional um, roller coaster because my child would witness um, the abuse, and um, for me, I, I feel that even though I was the victim, I brought other victims along, such as my child and my family members, and I have to go back constantly and apologize for the decision that I made. Because as we know, children don't make the decisions for the parents. Parents make the decisions for the the, the, the child or the children. And, um, you know, my father and I talk, and, and um, he's forgiving me. And um, the, the question for me is, for, I'm learning how to forgive myself every day. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you find a conflict in your belief system when you have members of your church telling you to stay? you're going home knowing this is not a good situation. How, how did you work through that conflict? Um, I worked through it because, um, as I said earlier, um, when things when I began to make decisions um, 
with allowing abuse in my life, I had already decided that I was abandoning God. I, sure. I, I didn't want him. So for me, it really wasn't a conflict because I turned away from the church. The church didn't turn away from me, and I turned away from God. God didn't turn away from me. So I was really, I was angry at everything and everyone. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's, that's, that's very powerful. And, and, I, and yeah. I hope, because I, I'm sure that you're not the only one that has had to deal with that type of inner turmoil. Just in terms mm-hmm. of okay, who can I talk to? Who can I trust? Um, mm-hmm. what, you know, I can't. I don't want my children to see me like this. I don't want the family to hear these types of things. And because you know, we we all know how sometimes family and friends can be. Even mm-hmm. those that are trying to do the right thing and trying to be supportive, sometimes they can also create more of a burden. And we we won't even go down the road of those that are just intentionally trying to create more more turmoil for you. So, I, again, I just have to really say that you, you've just been an amazing beacon of strength through some, some serious situations, and, and I just hope that the callers are hearing the intensity in terms of your, your willingness to get through this, but also hearing the, the, the pain in your voice as you describe, you know, going through one relationship into another and just recognizing that, this this isn't the right fit either. And so that's why I'm hoping that we will get some additional callers who want to share their experiences or they may, too, have some questions. How did you do this? How did you do that? When you saw this, what, what did you do at, at that point? Because this is another great way of, of working through challenges. When you hear someone who has lived that experience and you didn't quite know what to do or where to turn, but here's someone that's lived it, someone that may be able to tell you, well, when I saw this happening, this is what I did or this is what I didn't do, and this is what allowed me to, to get through this or this is what actually delayed my ability to get through this. And so I just appreciate you being very candid uh, about the experiences that you had, and I just hope that some of our callers can can learn from this as well because I've certainly – Learned a lot uh, this evening, also. Thank you. There are some points we have women speaking out, but gentlemen, you um, and on the line, and also um, those females on the line. If you know of men, of young men, of older men uh, who are going through similar situations, sometimes it's very difficult for a man to speak out. But ask them to share their story, even if they don't want to give their name. Because yeah. the other side, you know, not because men are also being abused. There are several men out there who are experiencing this domestic violence. And then another point is whether it's a man or a woman, the abuser. You have a story to tell as well. We'd like to hear that story. You know, you don't have to give your name. Just talk about what's happening with you, what drives you to begin to put abuse on another individual. That that's so, a great point, Douglas. That's an excellent point. Uh, that that is another source of learning. Uh, certainly, we you know you may not agree with the behavior, obviously, but we can learn from every person that's involved in this situation. Because at the end of the day, we want it to stop, and yeah. uh, we want the, the the hurt to stop on both ends. 
the the abuser obviously has issues and, and challenges that need to be addressed, as well as the victim. And we want to make sure that that everyone can heal and no one else is harmed. That that is what we want to do. So, Chief Flo, do we have any other callers on the line at this time? Uh, I, I know we have quite a few listeners, but again, if you call the number, listeners, and hit the number one. We'll be glad to get you on the air because we certainly want to get your input and to hear what you're thinking. And if you certainly want to share any experiences, I think we can all learn from those experiences. And take the information back that we received tonight. If, even if you haven't been involved, you're just listening uh, to get information. Uh, you could take some of this information back and possibly help out someone that you are aware of that is having a challenge. So at this point, why don't we just take a moment Go to a commercial break and see if we can get some more callers and certainly bring our discussion to a close. Okay, very good. I still look over my shoulder every day, and the fear's still there. This woman was a victim of domestic abuse. She has chosen to conceal her identity because even though she is free, the fear is still there. For her, getting the courage to leave the comfortable life she knew and not return was the hardest part. I left 11 times. She tried therapy and counseling, but nothing stopped the abuse. I thought that, you know, if I loved him enough, that he would love me back. Ultimately, it was the concern for her children that made her leave. When I saw it affecting my children, I guess that was what really made my mind up. For this victim and some others, they're able to escape their dangerous relationship and find comfort and safety in shelters like the one behind me. Abuse Alternatives in Bristol provides an emergency shelter, therapy, court advocacy, and much more. They, you know, tried to just guide me in a direction without putting too much pressure. During the holidays, she was upset about making it a normal one for her children, but Abuse Alternatives took care of that as well. I had no idea how I was going to do Christmas for my kids, and they saw that Santa came. Since leaving her husband and coming to abuse alternatives, she has noticed an improvement in her children's attitudes. They smile more, they're open more, they're happy, and they feel safe. With the recent tragedy in Glade Spring, this victim knows that a similar fate could have been hers if she never got the courage to escape. I think if uh, I didn't have abuse alternatives to turn to, that you would be doing the story that you've done on her, on me. Kelsey Lair, 19 News, Bristol. It can be really hard economically to leave a domestic violence situation. As a single woman, you're now challenged with paying for rent, utilities, and everyday costs on your own. If you add children to that, you're now including medical expenses, school expenses. Sometimes it can seem insurmountable. You also have emotional factors. No one asks someone to go on a date and then punches them in the face. So we see it a lot that our women are in love with their abusers. This is the father of their children. This is the person they build a life with. Maybe they own a home together. Maybe they've traveled the world together. Violence is one part of their relationship, a very bad part of the relationship. We see women that normally go back seven or eight times before they finally make a reason to leave. 
And sometimes it's not the violence that stops it. Sometimes it's the kids that finally make her leave. Sometimes it's the pets that finally make her leave. Sometimes it's a friend who finally got across to her that she should leave before she gets hurt. There's so many reasons to leave. And there's very strong reasons to go back. We can't be judgmental. We need to support any victim that's going through it. Well, we're back at 323-784-9638. That's 323-784-9638 is the number to call in. And, of course, hit the number one, and we will get you right on the air to to share your thoughts. Uh, again, we've been having a great discussion this evening regarding domestic violence. And, Dr. Douglas, one of the things that I've heard you and Pastor Thicklin talk about on many occasions, and uh and, and I think we've all seen it. I, I saw it during my career as a, as a as a deputy chief and investigator and commander. And and as you, even as you read the reports of domestic violence uh, from a law enforcement perspective, um, they are just as troubling as the descriptions that we hear from our callers. And one of the things that I've always heard you and Pastor Thicklin talk about is what is that trigger? that makes people finally say, enough, I've, I've had it. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And if you could just kind of talk a little bit about that, Dr. Douglas, because I always find that information so helpful. And some of the folks that I know who have listened to the show have, have told me they found that information uh, very helpful from a behavioral mm-hmm. perspective. Many mm-hmm. mm-hmm. One of the points I'd like to say in response is that what the victim, how the victim comes out of it, remembering that the abuser is also a victim in a different way. And and we know that with men, there's statistics tell us that one in seven men experience domestic violence in their lifetime, and it carries on. Because many of you have heard me speak about the intergenerational changes, how this happens, how the children see it and hear it, and they define their emotional intelligence by that, and it carries on, carries on. And and it's very natural in some cultures for this to be an understanding. I remember being at a conference with uh, Pastor Thicklin, and there was a Native African who spoke about how it's expected and intended in the village that he came from. But once he came here to the United States, he knew and he understood that it's not practical. And he didn't know how to stop it, but it's what he knew to do as a matter of living. It was what his wife knew when they lived in Africa as a manner of living for her to accept the abuse. But she learned when she came to the United States that that's not normal. She didn't want to go back to Africa to her village. So it took him some some therapy, and I advise those who are husband and wife who would like to get out of the situation and they're not sure how to get out of it, sometimes it takes one who's stronger than the other to bring it to their attention. But to, mm-hmm. but to begin counseling individually, I know the first concept that the, the, the abuser may say is, let's go for counseling. Of course, the, uh, the, the abuser the victim would say, let's uh-huh. go for counseling. But the abuser would say, uh-huh. I'm not going here. Yeah. I'm not going to a counselor. I don't need that. Uh-huh. But you begin, you begin taking individual counseling yourself. 
Okay, mm-hmm. first do that for yourself. Get your renewal, mm-hmm. an, an acquaintance with yourself. And then eventually, mm-hmm. hopefully, you can get him into individual counseling. It should not be mm-hmm. couple counseling in the beginning, but individual counseling. And then as you mm-hmm. begin to find yourself and renew your identity, not only as a victim, not only as a person mm-hmm. having this thorn in your heart, but then you begin to recognize your values, come back to being that little girl or that little boy that you once were mm-hmm. and re- realize your worth. That's the only way you can begin to come back together is to get mm-hmm. that counseling individually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, Dr. Douglas, can I say something um, in regards to that? Yes. Um, well, in my case with my um, ex-abuser, we well, I suggested to go into counseling, right, at first. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this, like um, you mentioned, he didn't want to go. He was very resistant um, um, in regards to that. And it came to a point where we was forced to go. Yeah, you know, police come to the house, and then, you know, things happen, press charges. Anyway, we were forced to go. And like you said, we went. I went I went and saw uh, someone personally, and then he did. He saw someone else. And that counselor, it was Sackler, but that counselor, um, she did introduce the power and control wheel, okay? And she did also introduce how... Um, a relationship should look based upon equality, okay? Um, and I think he went to two, and afterwards he just stopped, refused to go to any other counseling sessions, okay? So I went by myself. And even with that, even after the counseling session was completed, um, but the counselor didn't tell me to um, just leave, that they guided, you know, sort of like guide you into you know, what you should leave. You know, I didn't listen. I did not listen. Um, I just, I like I said, I thought I could even stay and change him. All right? Throwing the power and the wheel control, all the education thrown to the side. And then at the end, the trigger, I want to mention the trigger the gentleman was speaking about. The trigger for me was not just like getting out of that, that cell, but the trigger came also, when I had to choose between my ex-abuser and my children, the authorities came to the house. He did so many plots and schemes against me that the authority was called to the house. Um, HRS also was called to the house also while the promotion and the violence was going on. And um, they told me straight up, if you do not leave this man, Right? You could lose your children. That means we come in and they go in and foster care. So you're going to have to make a choice. And I was forced to file a restraining order against him. At that time, it was a six month temporary restraining order. And, you know, it was enforced, it was proven. And then he, of course, had to move out in my case. So I just wanted to, you know, mention, mention that. That'll be, you know, help to, to someone listening. Well, you know, again, that's, that's, that's sorry, great. Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Douglas. Uh, again, that's that's just a great information, and and yes. I, I'm sure many of the callers have benefited from your, your candor this evening. I know that uh, I've learned so many things, and uh, I just wanted to bring a caller on, a caller ending in eight six six nine. Come on. 
and and share some yes. thoughts. Yes. How's everybody tonight? Doing well, oh, sir. Good. Oh, like that's Mr. good. Mr. Stallings, okay. No, it's, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not him. But thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I wanted to make a comment. I I looked up a while back. I looked up domestic violence, and uh, it, it said that it was a, um, you know, physical, sexual assault or other abusive behavior, and it said a, basically a, a systemic pattern of power and control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it mentioned that there was physical violence, sexual violence, but it also said psychological and emotional violence. And I found over the years that that all all domestic violence is bad. Um, Let me say that first. None of it is good. But I found some of the saddest to be when you get up in age and you are no longer, one spouse is beginning to lose their memory, dementia maybe, and the other spouse is exercising a control, and it's a hard psychological, as as one definition said, aggressive behavior. It's enough to where you can't pick up the phone like physical violence and call the cops and say, hey, come over here, he's controlling her. But it's sad enough to where a person is trapped legally in the system. In other words, if a child notices or one of the grown adult children notices, notices it, unless he can with some type of diagnosis or through some medical way, I find it hard, and I've noticed that it's hard to help people in that situation. And my my input tonight is that when we talk about domestic violence, often we talk about it from a perspective of a a, 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 a woman or a man with small children and people in it, we. I I tend to think we we sometimes overlook that there are many many. Elderly people, not yes. saying not saying you're doing that tonight, but there are many elderly people that are that are trapped in it, and there's no hope because you can't pick up the phone, like I said, and just call the cops and say, "Hey, he's emotionally abusing my mother. He's controlling mm-hmm. my mother's finances. He's 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 control. He's taking her money because they're married and they're older." And I just wanted to, I'll listen. I just wanted to to get the uh, the guest opinion on that. And uh, if if you've seen that before, if you thought that to be an issue, and I, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks for letting me, me comment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I say something about that? Um, yeah. uh, Daniel, remember she said, um, well, she was 64, but even in her in her um, uh, abusive uh, marriage, she was in it for like 44 years, okay? Yeah. And with with that, what she did was I suggested uh, for her to call the elderly um, abuse hotline, mm-hmm. okay? In her case, like she said, you know, she's partially legally blind, okay, and she has a lot of health issues, you know, with her knees and stuff, and all that, you know, stems from the, the abuse of behavior in the past and, and present. So mm-hmm. in that case, the gentleman you can refer, I know it's difficult, you know, but you have to Stand up and and seek help that's out there. There is there is help out there for elders that are being abused. Um, uh, let me see. Yes. So 
you're right, yeah, you know, right. and there, Mike, can, can you, you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm sorry. I that's true. And mm-hmm. um the the only problem is and, and what the point I was making is the process is much slower but the person has to stay in the home while this process goes through. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. if you call the elderly abuse line, they'll mm-hmm. come over and they'll either take, they'll, they'll split them up. But a lot of times, from what I've seen in different cases, they may not have what they need at the time, and legally there's nothing they can do unless, you know, there's a, a guardianship done or whatever. And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to get into the, into the points of it, but I just think, it just seems to me it takes much more of a time mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the elderly because, like you just said, they'll say, well, refer them to the uh, adult elderly abuse. And then the elderly abuse people will say, well, we'll send a caseworker out. Then the caseworker yeah. comes out and there has to be certain elements the there. If they're not there, they're gone. Yeah, they they will do a thorough investigation. And that, you're right, that mm-hmm. takes time. It's a process. Mm-hmm. But, but we also have to understand that. In, when you're looking at domestic violence, and, and again, just talking from a, from a law enforcement perspective, and I look at how it, is, it evolved over the span of my career. Uh, at, at first, it was one of those things where, well, you know, there's no law, and you literally had attitudes that were as crass as, you know, well, there's no law that says a, a husband and a wife has to get along with each other. And, right. and now, as, as Neanderthalish as that sounds, that was the prevailing attitude. Well, now we've we've certainly evolved to a point where people understand and they recognize and those types of things, but that's not, and I I hate to use this word, that's not typical, if you will. So when we talk about the issues that are going on with the elderly, um, people don't necessarily associate that with, you know, domestic violence, if you will. I mean, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go in terms of dealing with all of the aspects of domestic violence. You know, we it was just a couple of years, for example, that people said, you know what, um, so what do we do when we have same-sex couples that are having these issues? We don't do it. We do it the same way, domestic violence. So we're still evolving in terms of domestic violence, and you, and you raise a good point because we used to have to deal with some of those issues as well. And, uh, and, and you just have to remind folks that when you have all the symptoms, people are being mistreated either mentally or physically, you have to get in there and you have to take action because that, that elderly gentleman or that elderly lady can wind up just as dead as that, that couple where the guy's coming in, he's 24 years old, and he's going to beat up his entire family. And it's just one of those things where the, the, the protocols are there, but the perception is what has to change sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right because, you know, even with the elderly, um, if the elderly sometimes are abused not just by a significant other, but by their children or their grandchildren. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, I, know, and I know that in, uh, in New York, where I'm working with some people there now, uh, is that they do, the Office of the Aging gets involved. Uh, I haven't looked at other areas, um, other states, but I can definitely tell you New York is beginning with the Office of the Aging getting involved, and it begins with the age of 65. So, Ms. Daniels, please check the Office of the Aging because I'm sure in another year or a few months you'll reach that point in your life, but they also have other areas that are helpful. Um, it's, and it's unfortunate because 
personally, let me share this with the callers. My mother is 93 years old in New York, and she chooses to allow my brother to live in her home, to be mentally abusing to her, and she chooses that, but she complains about it. And I said, Mom, why do you choose that? She said, because he's still my baby, and I knew that over the years he had some mm. continuing issues, and I just want to help him. I said, but mm. you helping him is putting me in a situation because it stresses me out that my mother wow. is going through this, and it's difficult for me to do anything about it. So, of course, I make sure that other family members in the area are constantly visiting her at any time, any point, so that he'll know that she has a support team. She may not be saying anything to him, but that support team makes themselves visible in the home, and they don't say much to him because they know that when they leave, he may want to instill more mental abuse upon her. But she has to learn to stop making me a choice to let this continue to happen. It's her house. It's not his house. She can easily say it's time to go. But he made a point. His point is that he's lived there for more than six months, so he's can maybe considered a, squat, a squatter, but the law says that they don't have to make him leave. So the Office of the Aging is now investigating, and they begin to make periodic visits to the point that he's afraid to mentally attack her because he's not sure of what's going to happen next. So that's why when Ms. Daniel spoke about her support system, it's not mm. strongly in place yet, but it can get there. It can get there mm. because you don't have to necessarily have family members but other interested parties that are around you to make sure that they're around you to the point where he doesn't know when he can, you know, let himself come upon her in a manner. So when you speak about elderly abuse, Pastor T and I are going to do a special show with Chief Chief Flo, and we're going to talk about the elderly and what's out there for them. Wow. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, Chief Flo, um, I think we've answered some questions. I think we had some great talks here this evening, and you got me a little bit fired up because it becomes personal. And and I'm working on it. And I ask all of you to pray for me, for my 93-year-old mom, who I believe sometimes she must be telling a tale about her age because she acts like she's 65. Um, but we need to keep others strong and let them know that we're there for them. That's so important. So if we don't have any other callers, maybe we can say to everyone, thank you so much. Unless anyone has any other points they'd like to make, I don't want to close it off. If you have another point you want to make, please do so at this time. Okay, with that being said, let us say good night to everyone. Chief Flo, do you have any last closing remarks? Okay. It was a great evening, and we certainly appreciated all of the comments and and information that was shared this evening. And again, I, and I always say uh, when I end with uh, you and, and Pastor Thicklin, uh, domestic violence is one of those things that we have to keep talking about it until we have been able to eradicate it. And and as our caller said earlier, and I just want to emphasize again, don't let anyone, no matter what their position is, no matter what religion you, you are, 
if you know that you're in a situation that is going the wrong way and you are in danger and you or there's the possibility of danger, leave, get some assistance, and take care of yourself. Okay, thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful good night. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.